the scriptures declare, honor your mother. That's what we would love to do today, is we just want to offer a happy Mother's Day to all of the moms and grandmothers across the Highland Crest landscape. And if you're not a member or regular attender here of Highland Crest, we still are very grateful that you're joining us, and we want to offer a happy Mother's Day to you if you're a mother. It's our hope today to be able to just enjoy a a great time worshiping our Lord, as well as thanking God for the mothers in our life. I actually want to begin today by reading the scripture passage that we will cover later on in our service. So if you have your Bible handy, if it's close to you, feel free to grab it and turn with me to Luke chapter 1. And we'll begin in verse 46 as we cover a passage of Scripture that is identified as Mary's Song. I happen to be married to a a woman whose name is Melody. Her name means song. And so it's not surprising to me or to others that know her that it seems like her life is an ongoing musical. And she continually breaks out in the song. When uh, our boys were little and she would change them when they were on their back and she would host them up to bring them up, she would sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Or when there's a time where the boys are challenged with a school problem or some other problem, she'd just break out into, God will make a way. And when it comes to chores, we have a 12-year-old that is responsible to take out the garbage And instead of saying, hey, will you take out the garbage? She'll say, take out the papers and the trash. And she cannot help herself when our boys are up in their bedroom and and bedtime is being prolonged. And they're like, can I just, can I just come down and just get a drink of water one more time? She'll just sing, it's too late, baby. Yeah, it's too late. She cannot help herself. And as we look at Mary here, I'm receiving the news that she is pregnant with child who would be Jesus Christ. She too breaks out into a song. And I'd like to read that. Follow along with me in Luke 1, beginning in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Let's pray that we would be able to worship in the song that Mary has laid out for us today. Father, we do thank you that we can come together over the internet and we can worship. And I pray that if there's one that is by themselves or if there is one that is in a room full of people, that they would know your presence today. We want to say thank you for mothers. I thank you for my own mother that 
has paved the way and, and shown what it looks like to have a selfless love. We pray that you would be honored in our service today. That as we look at, at how magnificent you are, we would be caught up in awe and be drawn to worship you in a fuller way today. In Jesus' name, amen. What I'd like to do now is just turn our attention back to the Scriptures. We're, we're going to go back to the passage that I read at the very beginning of our service and look at Luke chapter 1, and looking at verses 46 through 55. I, I think it's critical for us that we get the proper perspective on this passage. And to do that, just allow me to give you a bit of an illustration. Two years ago, my wife and I had the privilege of a, fulfilling a dream by traveling to the Yosemite Valley in California. We had saved up for this trip, and as we drove into the National Park, one of our first stops was a place called Glacier Point. Glacier Point provided an array of different lookouts where you could look over the Yosemite Valley. Now, I'm not typically an emotional guy, but neither I nor my wife was prepared for the beauty that we saw. It literally brought us to tears. So instead of me trying to articulate that scene with words, I've, I've had a little video on my computer, just over 20 seconds, and I want to allow Roman to play that in a moment. Let me just share with you what you're going to see. Because I don't have a monitor, I'll just describe it. You're going to see a waterfall off to your right. I scan to the left and, and show Half Dome. If you're familiar with the North Face line of clothing, Half Dome is their logo. And then I move off to the left a little bit further, and you're going to see an upper falls, a lower falls, uh, and a middle falls there in the middle. And at the lower part, it looks like there's grass that's being mowed, but it's really far distance away. And at that lower part there, that's where the village is, where there are shops, uh, restaurants, a hotel, and a nature center. So let's just show this video that will just provide a glimpse of the splendor that we observed from that lookout. Now imagine you've went to great expense to go to the Glacier Point lookout. And you have a tour guide. And she is able to identify the various peaks, call out the different waterfalls, provide a historical perspective on how the Yosemite became a national park, perhaps even talking about the various people that have climbed the, the mountains there. And then off to your back, she could identify Glacier Point Hotel that once stood there. But instead of being at the overlook there at Glacier Point and being captivated by the beauty of the valley, instead, all you do is stare at the tour guide. Instead of taking your camera and taking videos or taking pictures of the valley, all you do is stand back from a distance and you look at the tour guide. You would say, that is a waste of time and resources, right? Well, Mary, in this passage that we are looking at today, is our tour guide. And what she is going to do is direct our attention to the grandeur of our God. Her hope, I think, as she writes this song down for us, is that our worship, 
our reverence of God will be more fuller and more comprehensive. And we will miss the whole point of this passage if all we do is look at Mary as the champion of this passage. She is not. She is merely the tour guide that is directing us something far beyond herself, and that is God. So having said that, I think these verses do point us to a greater appreciation of worship. And and Mary does model for us what genuine worship looks like. As long as we don't just stop there at the tour guide, but we go beyond and look over the overlook to gaze upon the beauty of God, I think we will really grasp the intent of this passage. So I've got five marks of genuine worship here for our outline. And let's consider the first. It is that of personal. You'll see here in this passage that Mary's worship of this wonderful God is personal. Look with me here at Luke chapter 1. The the first words of her song include the word my. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, I confess to you that I read this passage differently than I did 10 years ago. Now I have a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. It is likely that when Mary wrote this song, she was a teenager, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. And so now as I read this song, and I read the word, my, it takes on great significance to me as a dad. Because what it implies is the faith of Mary's father and mother has now become her own personal faith. So she can say, my God, my Savior. And she knows this God personally. This is true worship. According to Luke chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus had a custom that he would go to the synagogue on every Sabbath day. It was there where he would hear the word of God read to him. I believe we can conclude that he got this custom from his mom and dad, who likely got this custom from their mom and dad. Now, Mary may not have grown up with a bound copy of God's scriptures, but she would have been able to go to the synagogue every Sabbath day to hear those words. It is likely that her father and mother took those words and throughout the week broke those things down into an understandable way for Mary and her siblings to digest. By the time she was a teenager, she knew this God personally. The greatest gift a child can give to their mother, if that mother is a believer, is to take the faith of their mother and to make it personal. If you don't believe me, look at your mother right now, and she is nodding. Now, one's motives to make the mom or dad's faith personal is not to please mom and dad. Let me be very clear about that. But it is to to look at the God of the Scriptures that you see your mom and dad read each day and to say, it is my desire to investigate that for myself. We place a special emphasis during these quarantine days on family worship. We've asked our dads and moms at least three times a week to be able to take time and read the scriptures to your children. 
We see what happens here in Mary's life where this worship is not just for other people, but it is for her herself. It is a personal worship. The second mark of this worship we see in this passage is not only that of personal, but it is that of genuine. We're going to look at the same verses I just read, but we're going to emphasize a couple of different words. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The word soul and spirit here refer to the inner person. Refer to who Mary truly is. Jesus would say, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 4 verse 24. Mary's relationship with God is authentic. Her worship is not driven by a pursuit to impress her peers or to please her mom and dad. If you had the ability to cut her open to see what made her heart beat, it would be a devotion and appreciation for the God who created her. The lyrics to her song came from a transformed heart. It says here, my soul magnifies the Lord. I believe the word magnify here bears some defining. Magnify has at least two different meanings. The one is to take something that is microscopic and small, some swamp water, put it on a slide and look over it in a microscope and see all sorts of living organisms swimming about. That is one definition of magnify. Take something small and see it bigger. But there's a second meaning for magnify, and it is to take something that is massive and to see it as it truly is. Our children sing a song, twinkle, twinkle, little star. Stars are not little. Stars are ten times the size of earth. And when we get a telescope out and we look at a star or a planet, we are seeing it as it truly is. And what Mary is saying to God, I want to see God as he truly is, as revealed by scriptures. Her worship was not only personal, it was also genuine. And thirdly, it was pleasurable. It was pleasurable. We see in chapter 1, verse 47, where Mary says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary's worship was not some dearth. It was not some routine. It was not some dry song. It came out of ecstatic motions as appreciation to who God was. It was pleasurable for her to write and sing this song. Charles Spurgeon said, Singing is the natural language of joy. And this is not only true for us in the church, it's also true for anyone. When we are happy, when we are in bliss, we tend to hum or whistle or sing. When you go to a Brewers game and at the seventh inning stretch, they not only sing, take me out to the ball game, they also sing, roll out the barrels. We'll have a barrel of fun. Roll out the barrels. We've got the blues on the run. As a child, my dad would take me to the Brewers game and I had no idea what they were talking about barrels. What? 
barrels of oil? No, it's actually barrels of beer. And let's sing as we're getting drunk. Let's sing while we're happy because that's what we do when we're happy until we sober up and our problems face us just like they were there yesterday. But Mary rejoices. Now, one might look at Mary and say, well, of course she is rejoicing. She's pregnant with her first child. All is well for her. She's experiencing this bliss of being pregnant. Look at my situation. Look at where I am at. My life has been interrupted. I am irritated by this safer at home nonsense. Life is uncertain and unstable. I want out of this quarantine. It has gone on long enough. Before you go down that road and say, Mary's situation is different than yours, let's give thought to the context here. Here in Luke chapter 1, her life has been interrupted. She was a teenager just going about her day. And now she is pregnant. We find out in verse 56 of Luke 1 that she will remain with her relative Elizabeth for three months. Not sure how long she was pregnant when she wrote this song. Could have been three months. She's another six months from giving birth. When she returns home, she will see her fiancé. And upon seeing her expecting a child, it is likely he's going to the lawyer to draft up some divorce papers. When she returns home and her mother and dad see her, humiliation will drape over the family. It is likely her life will be threatened because she is pregnant before she is married. And yet, despite all of this uncertainty, she rejoices. If one had to conclude this entire song in one word, we might say it is a song of faith. That she sings beyond her present circumstances and just embraces the promises of God that God is going to work this out, work it out for her good. It has been said that one's joy is not connected to their present circumstances. One's joy is connected to the size of their God. And Mary's God is massive. It is the God of the Bible. And I would ask you, Christian, how big is your God? Is it consistent with the size that the Bible portrays? Or have you let doubts creep in? Are you looking at your circumstances more than you are looking at God? The fourth mark of worship here that we see in this passage is that it is thoughtful. It is thoughtful. And those who have studied this song that Mary has written are, can clearly see that most of these verses are rooted right there in the Old Testament Scriptures. You see, Mary is not the first one to write a song in response to discovering that she's pregnant. There's another woman in the Old Testament named Hannah. And when you, when you line up Hannah's song and Mary's song, the, the comparisons are obvious. Let me give you a few descriptions of that. When you look at Mary's song here in Luke chapter 1, verse 46, look at what it says. It says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You look at the first verse of Hannah's song in 1 Samuel chapter 2. It says, My heart exalts in the Lord. I rejoice in thy salvation. When you look at verse 49 of Mary's song, it says, And holy is his name. 
The second verse of Hannah's song says, There is none holy like the Lord. In verse 52 of Mary's song, it says, He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. In the fourth verse of Hannah's song, it says, The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble gird on strength. And then finally, if you look at verse 53, it says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Verse 5 of Hannah's song reads, Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. It's as if if you squeezed Mary, this teenage young lady, what would come out of her was Bible. Her song was not one of just emotion or sentimentality. It was one of thoughtful theology. Mary worships God for his attributes. We see God being called holy in verse 49. God's mercy is on display in verses 50 and 54. Mary recounts God's faithful acts from the past. You'll notice the past tense of verses 51 through 55. Allow me to read that again. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Even though Mary was merely a teen, she is acquainted with the ways of God. And then under that thoughtfulness as well, God's mercy is available to those in the future. Look with me at what it says here in verse 50. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. Our tour guide looks out and says, you can know this God. You can know Him genuinely. You can know Him joyfully. You can know Him thoughtfully. He is available to you. His mercy extends to you even today. What is mercy? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. This week as I was home, I saw another description of this with my boys. One afternoon, I was walking around the the perimeter of our property, just going for a prayer walk. When I observed one of our boys come outside and, and looked at a bird, that had violently collided against the window next to our dining room. And it was in stunned, just, just as if it were dead right there, but now it was beginning to come to and beginning to move. And I called out, hey, hey, give that bird an opportunity before you let the cat loose on it. And by the next time I looped around, there were five boys. You see, for a boy, there's only one thing better than seeing a suffering animal. It's seeing two suffering animals. And so as I went around my second time, not only do I see the, the bird who is unable to fly, but still trying to come to, I see our cat, who I'll call ferocious fuddles, that is already to pounce there on the cat, but is being restrained by a few giggling boys. They are allowing the cat to get its nose on the, on the back feather of that bird, but not allowing it to actually eat the bird. 
And as they are giggling, as they're enjoying this and videoing it potentially for a new scene in a movie, they are taking all of this in and I call out in mercy as well as their mother say, let us have mercy on this bird. Why don't you give the, the bird an opportunity to fly away and experience life? And in a moment, as I make them way around the next loop, do you know what had happened? The bird had actually flown up into a tree. Now what that bird deserved was death. It had collided into the window. And the laws of nature, if there are such things, would say, now it is prey to a cat. And that might be a silly illustration. But the reality is, is that each of us, as we've looked out at the overlook to who God is, none of us have worshipped Him. Instead, we have worshipped ourselves. We have said to Him, I will not follow you. I will go my own way. I will not be devoted to you. I will not seek my pleasure in you. I will seek my own pleasure in the things that you have created. And since God is holy, the result of this misguided worship is death. But our God is merciful. He is offering an opportunity for you to know Him, to, to offer forgiveness. So that leads me to the fifth and final mark of worship here. And that is founded in forgiveness. Mary would say in chapter 1, verse 47, And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You see, you and I have something in common with Mary. We are sinners. We deserve death and hell. And we both need to be saved from our sins. And as our tour guide, the best thing that Mary can do is just bring us to the edge of an overlook and and say, cast your gaze upon God. He is wonderful. But she cannot take us any further. She cannot bridge the gap to a relationship with this God. But there is one who can. And you know who it is? It's the one who was in her womb at the moment that the song was being written. It is Jesus. It is Jesus who would come and leave the heavens, to leave the splendor there, to come down and live among us. And to do more than just take us to the overlook. But through His death and His resurrection would make a way for us to actually enter into a relationship with God. And we can become more than just a spectator of this song. We can become a participant in this song. There is an invitation to you to sing. One of my favorite things to do is to go to sporting events. This last November 2019, I got to take my five boys down to Camp Randall, in which we took in a football game to see the Badgers play Purdue. It was a wonderful afternoon. If you've ever gone to a Badger sporting event, whether basketball, hockey, or football, you know that they have a tradition. Probably all schools have the same tradition. It is during halftime to sing the school song. Wisconsin's just happens to be called Varsity. And as they sing that song, everyone's arms gets put on another person and they sway back and forth. It's quite a spectacle in a stadium of 80,000 people all swaying back and forth singing the school song. But here's the reality for me. I love the sports teams, but it really isn't my school song. 
I didn't go to Madison. I didn't go down there to, to get an education at that school. The truth is, I don't always support the worldview. In fact, I, I stand opposed to the worldview that often comes from that university. I certainly don't stand by the, the lifestyle of the students or the language of the students that comes out from the student section during the football game. So I stand there and I can appreciate as people are getting misty eyes singing and reflecting on their experience at the university. But I will be honest, I'm only a spectator in that song. I don't have any personal experience going to that school. And it could be, as you have covered this song of Mary's today, that you would be honest to say, you know what? I'm only a spectator in that song. I hear Christian songs, but I have no idea what it's like to have a personal relationship with God. Well, here is an invitation to you. An invitation to sing, not, not physically sing, although you can certainly do that, but an invitation for you to join in a relationship with God. You know what the pathway is? Mary here says, I am your servant. It says there in verse 48, it is the humble yourself. It might be the most appropriate thing for you right now is to get on your knees and to enter in this relationship is to humble yourself and say, I have sinned against you, God. I have not worshipped you. I've worshipped myself. I've only done what I've wanted to do in my life. I've sought pleasure not in you, but the things that you have created. My life is not as it ought to be. Confess that sin to him. Be specific. What are you, what are you guilty of? What is he convicting you of in your, in your conscience? Go through that. Confess each of those sins. Then receive his forgiveness by faith. This forgiveness is offered by him dying on the cross for you, by being raised to life. Say, I, I receive that forgiveness then your worship can be personal. Your worship can be genuine. Your worship can be joy-filled as the Holy Spirit fills you. And your worship can be thoughtful as you spend the rest of your life understanding who this God is, how He has saved you, and how you can share this message with others. Your worship begins by being forgiven of your sins. What's to stop you from doing that right now? Let me give you a moment and guide you in a prayer. Father, the truth is, as we look out in this passage and we see how magnificent you are, none of us naturally just go out and enter into worship. All of us are self-centered and given over to our own pride and independence. We come and we bring our lives before you, our sin, and we confess it. And I would encourage you, young person, man, woman, you confess your sins to him. And then by faith, receive this forgiveness. I want to walk with you. I want to worship you. I want to live a life of where I'm devoted to you. Help me to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never trusted Christ, but you have today that he would save you from your sins, we want to rejoice with you. Please let us know. 
If you're with someone, certainly let them know. But as a church, this is why we exist, to help people to become followers of Jesus. We would love to do that. And those of you that are Christian mothers today, we want to encourage you. I think this passage encourages you to make this a day of worship and reflecting how great God is. Let me pray for you. We'll have some announcements and then we'll hear a song from Miss Jean. Let me pray for you, Christian mothers. God, I thank you for the mothers in our lives. And I pray that they could take a passage of Scripture to this. And this would be a day of worship for them as they reflect on your greatness in their life. May it be a day of them singing truth back to you. May it be a day where their husbands, their children, their great-grandchildren, their grandchildren all are able to honor them and express their appreciation for their service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.